All right, New Covenant, how are we doing this morning? You sure? Uh, I'll tell you what, um, everywhere that I have um, been given the opportunity to, to preach, speak at, um, New Covenant is by far my favorite. Uh, and that's not just, again, because of what this church is to me in growing up. It is because um, the Lord is moving drastically um, here. And I see that um, even from afar uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Play, all right, pray a quick prayer over my laptop. Um, I've had this thing since 2015, <clears throat> and uh, it is uh, got a lot of, uh, yeah, just a lot of sweat, tears, and potentially blood, as my father was saying. Uh, I am finally coming to an end uh, of my master's program, um, which is a great relief. Um, and in case she... Um, have not been able to tell. I've been on this real journey of the the things of the Spirit married with the Word is one of the most critical things, and I think uh, that is definitely a big part of the calling that the Lord has on my life of making sure that the church, not just this, not this church, um, but the global church is walking in tandem of Spirit and truth. Um. For me, the uh, just so you're aware of where I'm at. Um, actually, I was just sharing this in the premarital counseling session that I had with the uh, the couple this week that I'm marrying in May. Of you know, I used to care far too much about what people thought of me. Um, it would exa- exaggerate the truth uh, that would enable people to have a better perspective of me. Um, and now, uh, as I've gotten healing and the Lord has just radically touched my heart. Right, I've come to this other side of the pendulum where I just don't give a rip what you think. You need to hear the truth. You'll get over it kind of thing. And there's no love in that, right? That doesn't bring change, right? Love has to be at the center of truth, right? Without love, it's not going to cast out fear. It's actually just going to create bitterness. It's actually just going to create resentment towards you to where uh, a divide become, uh, comes in between the two of you and you actually have no relational equity to speak into their life anymore. Uh, and I'm in the, I've, I've done this too many times, uh, even within what we're doing in Knoxville, of um, you know, just speaking to some people that have a different uh, understanding and belief about certain topics of Scripture, of casting them aside because, well, they are biblically illiterate. And I have created uh, great divides, um, sadly, in my life because of that in and of itself. Um, so, for those of you that don't know, don't know, that's just a little side note. Joel, uh, I have been in Knoxville, Tennessee with my wife and amazing, stunning, beautiful boy, Abner. Uh, for we're, we're coming up on three years. Isn't that wild? Three daggum years that I've been down almost... Uh, been down there almost three years. Uh, we are due in July, so it's the Lord is so good. I am finishing up my MDiv as we are welcoming our next child into the world. Uh, I am super excited. Uh, everybody thinks it's a girl. Uh, I was just telling uh, a few other people earlier, we, I, I don't know how much it is up here in Indiana, but to find out early the gender beto- before 20 weeks is like $300. And I'm, my wife was wanting that, and I was just like, no. 
nope, it's not a priority. It is too much. We can't afford that. And thankfully, uh, a friend of ours who was loving uh, allowed us to go, and she gave it to us for free, and it was great. Well, in the ultrasound, you know, you, you see everything, and there it is. It's a boy. And at the very end, she's like, well, you're at 13 weeks, so this is not 100%. This could be the umbilical cord. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, we, we just don't know. Uh, we, they think it's a boy, but uh, I still think it's a girl, but we're going to find out on Tuesday if it is a girl or not. All right, so you guys saw what I'm going to be teaching a little bit about today. Uh, the way we're going to go through this, I'm going to share a little bit about like what my job looks like because a lot of this uh, really stems from my job. Uh, I know that kind of sounds weird. You have uh, a company basically hiring a guy to be a full-time missionary, and we're going to get a little into that. Then we're going to go into the theological uh, basis for evangelism. What does that actually look like uh, from Scripture? And then uh, the, the dangerous thing that even as I was praying about this, um, is I can, I can show you and share everything of what the Lord is doing and the fruit that is coming from my job, right? But there, that, that, that is contractual, right? I prefer my, <laughs> perform my job duties for my paycheck, right? And so there has to be this, uh, you know, difference being made, at least from my end of um, the evangelism piece from my job versus the personal evangelism that my wife and I are doing, because it's very, it's very easy for people to be like, well, you get paid to do it. You know what I mean? And so I want to make a clear distinction that there is a very big difference between what I'm doing um, between, from my job and what we are doing in our personal life. So that's what we're going to uh, go through today. Uh, just so you're aware, evangelism is actually not my strong suit. Uh, this is, has been a learned thing for me. Um, I, to be honest with you, just as I'm getting older and the Lord is continuing to do work in my heart, I'm quickly realizing that uh, I am very pastoral. In case you, <laughs> I know that may not come as a surprise to you guys, um, but for me, I very much thought um, that was not my strong suit, but this whole pastor-teacher thing, um, the Lord is really, really starting to put it on my heart as um, I grow in Him and chase after His presence, and He radically transforms my life. Uh, so I wanted to at least make you guys aware of that, that this is truly not my strong suit, that this is something um, that the Lord has my yes. Uh, that is at the basis of all of the fruit is my wife and I's yes. Without, without your yes, uh, there's going to be very little fruit. Um, and you're actually limiting the Lord by not giving you your yes. I'm going to share a little bit about just some of the incredible testimonies of what the Lord has done uh, just because we've said yes, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done. It's very much him and him alone through our yes. Uh, for those of you that are a little worried, my, my sister made sure I was good this morning. She asked, um, am I losing circulation in my legs? So if those of you that were nervous about that, do not worry. I'm not losing circulation. Um, uh, my loving sister, very much God lover, made sure that I was doing okay this morning. Right? Huh? They are actually stretchy. So here's the thing. Skinny jeans are honestly some of the most comfortable uh, jeans that I've ever worn because they're comfortable. They just look um, not the best on almost 30-year-old uh, men with a gut. So... <laughs> 
Yes. All right, so let me explain a little bit about my job. All right, so I work for an organization called Holston Home for Children. Um, it's actually a United Methodist affiliated. Um, it's actually really wild how this has all kind of come about. So my boss, he's the CEO and the president of Holston Home for Children. All right, so we uh, provide foster care services, adoption care services. Uh, we have an on-site residential facility that has almost 100 children on our campus. Uh, about it's been about five years ago, my boss, deep Southern Baptist, uh, very conservative, got absolutely torched by the Lord. Holy Spirit is absolutely wrecking him. It just, he started speaking in tongues, had no idea what was happening. Started, uh, the Spirit came upon him. He was uh, wallowing around all over the floor, felt like he was wrestling with the Lord, just really radical stuff. And what's crazy is um, during that time, uh, an Irish global missionary his name is Abel, moved to Greenville, Tennessee, because he and his wife felt like they were supposed to move there, serve the community, and he actually got hired on as the Christian Life Director for Holston Home for Children. And, you know, Abel and his wife, uh, Nicole, are very much on fire for the Lord, and so really were, was able to be present with Bradley in explaining what was happening, the biblical basis for it, and really, after that moment, uh, the spirit has just absolutely exploded on our campus. Uh, our kids are getting healed. Our kids are getting set free. They're getting delivered on our campus because we make room for the presence of God. Uh, and that is the number one uh, healing tool is the gospel. And that's the priority at Holston Home for Children is making sure that these kids have an encounter with the Lord. So from that uh, has been birthed, a lot of our children uh, come from Knoxville, Tennessee. So Greenville, where our campus is, is about an hour 15 east of Knoxville. So we service all of Tennessee, some Virginia, some North Carolina, and then uh, bottom half of Kentucky. Our services are uh, range uh, distance-wise quite a bit. And so the Lord kind of put this role that I am in to serve a specific neighborhood. It's called the Oakwood-Lincoln Park neighborhood uh, because a lot of our kids come from there. And again, the, the gospel is the solution, plain and simple, right? I'm not discrediting, right? Medical care, do not hear me say that because that is, not, that is further from the truth. The Lord believes in medical intervention. I believe in the uh, medical intervention. But at the root, right, Jesus and him crucified is the solution. Um. So I get hired on in this weird role where we are trying to be proactive in ultimately identifying children before they would, were ever to come into state or local custody. I develop relationships with those families, with that child, and create a healthy family unit. And then guess what? One child is saved. They do not have to come into, this, uh, into the system. We are now creating a healthy unit uh, where the gospel is present in these homes. So, what does that look like? <laughs> it's a great, great question. Uh, it's very difficult to describe my role. Everybody always asks, I don't really understand your role. And to put it plainly is, I'm a paid missionary. So, what my week kind of looks like is in the mornings, uh, I walk the streets. Straight up, just walk the streets. Throughout the week, I have it split up to where uh, one day I do door-to-door. -door. I'll be honest with you, it's my least favorite day in the entire world. However, the Lord has called me to that, and that is on the heart of Holston, and that is a professional obligation, so I do it. 
Uh, (laughs) It's real. I'm telling you, it's real. Door to door. The other one uh, is follow-up. So people that I have met, I am intentionally following up with them, knocking on their door, doing life with them. Uh, The other day is uh, just really, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Right, because I never want to restrict him. I never want to put my agenda on him. And I love my boss's heart of like, we never want to restrict the Holy Spirit. And so the next couple of days are, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Uh, one of those days has now <laughs> actually been another follow-up day because we have seen so much fruit. We've seen uh, people come to know the Lord that my role now is very much uh, discipling people. Right, People have gotten saved, healed, set freed um, to where we are now discipling uh, individuals on a one-on-one basis. Um, the motto for that piece is earning a seat at the table. Okay, this is a relational-based evangelistic avenue for how we are winning souls to the kingdom. I am trying to earn a seat at their table through relationship. Um, I'm, I'm, we're going to get into it a little bit, but I, the, to be honest with you, most of the time, my first interaction, Jesus is never presented. Uh, I know that may come as a surprise, and maybe some of you even scratch your head and question, is that necessary? Um, but I want you to take away of, this is a blueprint. This is, this is how we are doing it, right? These are just tools, hopefully examples of how we can incorporate this in our, all of our lives, because Newcastle, Indiana is completely different than Knoxville, Tennessee, right? It does not translate culture, culture, culture to culture, right? Um, Another avenue of my job is an after-school program partnering with uh, another organization called Emerald Youth. Um, Emerald Youth is an after-school program. They do sports. They do uh, basically a plethora of different things in Knoxville, Tennessee, and so we have actually formed a great partnership with them. Uh, And so I help run an after-school program where uh, I get to sit with 20 middle schoolers uh, from 2 to 6 p.m., and I get to shove the gospel down their throat. I get to, not really, <laughs> uh, I get to do fun activities with them, uh, sports, uh, and then we, I do teach Bible um, as well. And so these are children that are at risk. Uh, they are children that do not have healthy homes. And so it is a great opportunity for me to be able to present them uh, the gospel, but also demonstrate what it looks like to have character. Uh, to have a right relationship with the Lord, and what does it look like to actually walk in integrity. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm perfect at that, but those are the opportunities that um, we are presented with. The other one, there's a huge Guatemalan community uh, within Knoxville. Uh, And so we work, like I was telling you, with Emerald, so they are very data-driven. And so I got some data on just the demographics of our community, and there are over 50,000 Guatemalans in the city of Knoxville, Tennessee. Most of them do not speak English. Uh, Very little speak Spanish. They speak a very specific dialect called Acateca. And so our schools are very overwhelmed uh, with uh, these children uh, from different countries. And so I have been uh, really praying with the Lord of, like, how can I better serve, you know, these, these families? Uh, a lot of them live in the neighborhood. You know, I've met several families. We've gotten them beds. We've, you know, we're sharing uh, life together. We eat together. Uh, but the biggest way that I can demonstrate the gospel is trying to learn their language. And so I'm actually in the process of trying to learn this language called Akatekan. Uh, to be honest with you, it's one of the most difficult because it's not written. It's strictly oral. And you can imagine that uh, from family to family, 
they kind of have their own dialect of this. And so it's very difficult, but I am committed to loving this, uh, this population. And uh, sometimes it requires you to be extremely uncomfortable. And I'm just telling you, it, it's extremely uncomfortable. But when the Lord has your yes, doors open up. Uh, some really cool just kind of testimonies. Um, I'm really great friends now with the city commissioner. Uh, that was just a door uh, that the Lord completely opened up because I was picking up trash in the park. And he took note of that. And he approached me, and we have a great relationship to where um, I now have access to really anything in the city that I, that I need. Again, that's not because of me. It is just the yes and continuing to serve my neighborhood, even if it is picking up trash. Um, I provide, this is really wild, but uh, school oversight committee. So all over Knox County, um, I am on the school oversight committee, and so I get to weigh in on some decisions for our schools, uh, which is absolutely insane. Um, I feel extremely unequipped, um, but again, the gospel is the solution. So how am I presenting the gospel and helping our leaders make connections, making or making connections? Excuse me, making decisions that are going to benefit our county. You know. And so, again, these are just other avenues that the Lord opens up in all of our lives as soon as we give him our yes. Uh, just some testimonies so you're aware of what is actually happening. Um, we've probably had about 80 people come to know the Lord in about two and a half years. Um, that's wild. I can't even begin to tell you how many people have gotten healed or delivered. I think one of the biggest ones that sticks out to me um, that's beautiful and just touches my heart. My son gets to come out with me a lot. Um, it's a real sweet thing. It's actually beautiful because whenever somebody sees a, a, a man walking his, his son in a stroller, walls go down, right? It's just, oh, let me see your kid. And I love it. Well, there's this gentleman. His name is Hugo, big boy. Uh in the neighborhood, uh, and I'm walking, and, you know, just casual conversation, and Hugo, what are you doing here today, man? It's kind of chilly, you know, uh, while you're walking around, and come to find out the dude's depressed, and he's walking to get stuff off of his mind, and plain and simple, I was just like, dude, uh, I know somebody that can help you with that, uh, he goes, really? And I said, yeah, Jesus, man, and he goes, no, I don't, I don't believe in that stuff. And I said, that's fine. I said, if, if you don't mind, can I just pray for you, man? Like, uh, it's super low-key. Just say a quick prayer of blessing, and I'll be on my way. I won't bother you anymore. He's like, yes, of course. So we're praying, and uh, Abner's probably a year and a half at this moment. And my son just copies me, you know, puts his hand on Hugo. And Hugo just falls in the power of the Spirit, drops to the floor outside in the middle of the park has no idea what's happening. And it, things kind of, you know, we're praying and Hugo just experiences the Lord and loves Jesus and all this crazy stuff. But the moment that he got up, he says, as soon as your son touched my shoulder. So, if you want to change a city, get your kids involved. We had our first missionary uh, go to Cuba, a gentleman I led to the Lord who loves Jesus. It was over Christmas break, said, I feel like the Lord's telling me to go to Cuba. And I said, do it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You need to go. He's putting it on your heart. Go. 
And so he went to Cuba for a month, saw crazy stuff, got to help uh, several families with just some, you know, uh, projects at home. So we now have our first missionary, which I'm really excited about. Um, and then a really neat uh, opportunity as well. So, um, you know, I'm really, I've been intentional of getting our church involved down there in Knoxville. We have a, uh, it's called a serve team. And so how do we get outside of the four walls of the church? And it's called Redemption Life Support. And we, uh, actually, my mom and dad were down uh, there when I presented the project, but uh, I have now been tasked uh, to provide uh, this redemption life support of actual physical projects in a home. Uh, I'm supposed to give them a project once a month. Um, and just really, really neat, there, this one that we're doing uh, this coming month, his name is Rick. We're actually laying new flooring for him. Uh, he has original hardwoods, and there is no subfloor whatsoever. It's immediately to his crawl space. So he can't run his heat. He can't keep his house warm. He can't he keep his uh, house cool in the summer. He's freezing constantly. And so we're coming in. We've raised funds. We're getting ready to start with um, doing Rick's flooring. And I approached Lowe's of saying, hey, this is what we're doing. I'd love, you know, if you guys were potentially able to donate uh, some material. Well, come to find out, the manager took it to regional director, regional director presented it to the CEO of Lowe's. I mean, it just this is just God, right? It's just wild stuff. CEO's like, I love this. Regional director said, hey, I want you to make sure that we are supporting this. And so every project that we do, so starting this project with Rick, uh, Lowe's is... Uh, doing this give back program and so we're going to have at least 12 employees from Lowe's contributing every project uh, to serve our neighborhood right it's wild stuff and so I'm really excited again it just it needs your yes all of this would have never happened if the Lord did not have my my uh, wife and I's yes all right, so before we move into the, the kind of the theological basis uh, of things, um, I want to make it known that at the root of evangelism, dependence on the Holy Spirit is critical. Um, I would even encourage you, if you are um, um, not right with the Lord and are not hearing his voice, I would actually encourage you, please don't go evangelize. I know that sounds ridiculous, and maybe I, I'm maybe an error on this, um, so I invite correction um, in that. But it, I say that because each and every individual is completely different. Their situation is so different. This whole evangelistic model and framework and teaching that we've all got from incredible people, it's not transferable in every single scenario. It's a framework. It's the skeleton, right? And I think what has happened is, is people have gotten so turned off to hearing the gospel and people are so scared of evangelism because we take this structure, we take this skeleton, and we are expecting it to work on every single individual. And that's not how it works. Like, we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And an example I'm going to give you, there's a gentleman who I met in the community and uh, just said, hey, man, it uh, looks like you're moving out. Is there anything I can help you with? And so I'm actually moving boxes, helping him move out. Uh, and he is like, so what are you, why are you doing this? I was like, I just want to get to know you. That's all. I just want, genuinely want to get to know you. And uh, he is like, you, you one of those Jesus guys? <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you, 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 you're just going to share the gospel with me, and you want me to just go to heaven. 
and I'm weary of even sharing this because I know people can run with it, but I trust that you understand my heart in this. And I warn you, this is, again, the, the relationship I have with the Holy Spirit. But he said, the, I, all you care about is my salvation. And I said, I don't care about your salvation. I don't care if you go to heaven. And, and, and the response that he got, he was stunned, absolutely taken back because we're in the Bible Belt, right? Everybody knows about Jesus. And everybody knows exactly what to say, right, when approached about the gospel. And so the fact that I said, I don't care about your salvation, dude. I really don't. I want to get to know you for who you really are. And he, all, I could tell all of the things that he would normally respond with, he had no ability to. Everything that he uh, defended himself with was completely dismissed. And now, this dude has now come to know the Lord. <laughs> he is walking in major freedom. But I also want to highlight, like, I do care about his salvation. So don't hear me say I don't care about a salvation, right? Because I do. That is my, I want to see this dude in heaven. And so I just give you that uh, in really ensuring that we have got to be so fine-tuned to the Spirit's voice. Because James's dad, this, uh, another gentleman I do life with, um, is, does not need to hear the same thing as Rick does. Or as my buddy Thomas does. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that? Okay. All right, so let's uh, go into a little bit of a theological, uh, the theological basis of evangelism. Um, I know when we talk about evangelism, a lot of things kind of come up. You see the Todd Whites. Um, you see the Daniel Kalindas. And it can be extremely overwhelming to see uh, the fruit of their ministries as evangelists, right? Um, however... If you've heard any of their stories, all of them have started out small. Most of them have started out in their neighborhoods. Um, and this isn't uh, the time that I'm going to spend on it, but there's very much, I think, the office of an evangelist on their life as well. And that very much dictates um, some things. And so I think we just need to make sure that we are starting small. We cannot expect uh, all of a sudden to be the next Todd White evangelism-wise. Uh, that's just setting it. I'm not d diminishing the work of the Lord. Um, I just think we need to set ourselves up with realistic expectations, you know. All right, so Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is obviously everybody knows this, um, you know, in regards to discipleship. But this verse in and of itself encapsulates uh, the entire relationship with nonbelievers, right? We've got evangelism, salvation, discipleship, and baptism. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, so obviously it's very important for us as believers, you know, so far removed from when this was originally written to take the command of Jesus extremely seriously, right? I know this was for the disciples, but it's also uh, for us today. Uh, here in the West, we can uh, look past the fact that uh, this is a teacher commanding his students to accomplish a goal, okay? We first must realize that Jesus, rabbi, teacher, is telling his students a command to go, okay? 
And this is the exact relationship that we must have with Jesus as he commands us to do the exact same thing. So, with that, it forces us to ask the question then, am I a student of Jesus? I would argue that most people in the American church today are not students of Jesus. Uh, Kind of an an example that I think accentuates this, um, when I was in uh, undergrad in in Michigan, I... um, uh, there was a certain professor in the kinesiology department, uh, Dr. Sled. Uh, I had heard incredible things about Dr. Sled. Wanted, I genuinely, I mean, everybody knows who he is. I wanted to meet him because he's just like the best professor in the kinesiology department. He's a lot of fun. He's goofy. He's humorous. And everybody just talks about him. But I had never taken a class with him. I had never talked to him. Never met the dude, but yet I loved him. I just was like, he's great, right? And I think this is the, the trap that a lot of people within the church can get into with Jesus. They've heard all of his great stories. They've read a little bit about him, right? I, and heard a lot of great things, and man, I just love that Jesus dude. But we're not a student of him. I think this is a relationship a lot of people have with Jesus. We're all good with Savior, but we're not so good with Lord. This is not planned to be weighty. It's it's weighty on my heart. It may not be for you guys. Maybe this is just for me. But students know their teacher. They don't just hear about him, right? They spend time with their teacher, observe their teacher, and implement all teaching no matter how it makes sense one feel. I'm trying to remember who I heard it from, but uh, this whole feeling culture that we are in is very, very dangerous. Um, Well, this is my truth. (laughs) That's your feeling. That's not your truth. But feelings are great indicators. They're horrible masters. So they tell you what's going on, but if you continue to follow those, you're going to be led astray. And that's one of the things that um, yeah, it's for another day. It's for another day. Um, just know that it does not matter what you feel. You observe what he says. Uh, Jesus did not entice his disciples with rewards. In fact, he actually drew them in with sacrifice, and in sacrifice they found the reward. And that's, that, that's the key, Right is we actually entice people to the gospel through our sacrifice. And that's when they find the reward of Jesus. But if we're looking to try and get somebody with the sole purpose of getting them to church, right, I led somebody to the Lord, that's not really sacrificial. That's just bolstering your pride. So in regards to, uh, you know, knowing Jesus as teacher, in this in this. Uh, passage of scripture we have to ask the question how hungry are we to really know Jesus as our teacher how close do you genuinely want to be with him where no matter the feeling that comes up as he demands and requires you to do something despite the feeling you say yes without hesitancy 
So how close do you really want to be with him? Because real hunger is measured by what sacrifice you're willing to pay in order to eat. So again, how hungry are you willing, or excuse me, how hungry are you to know him? Because if you do not know him, how do you expect to truly evangelize people? To go out in confidence, not care what people think. It's in this teacher-student relationship that we are truly able to experience him as Jesus, our chief evangelist. So Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples as they preached, baptized, and taught. So what is the actual making of a disciple? So if you look at some of the original Greek, it means instructing new believers on how to follow Jesus, to submit to Jesus' lordship, and to take up his mission of compassionate kingdom advancement. That in and of itself encapsulates, encapsulates, yeah, making disciples. To be a disciple means entering a relationship of learner to master teacher with Jesus. The church must not merely evangelize, but it also must show new converts how to obey Jesus' commands. Evangelism and discipleship must be, oh, sorry, discipleship must be stressed without neglecting evangelism. Uh, This is something that I was working with a church um, down in Knoxville. They're wanting to partner with us in the community, and they're all about discipleship and discipleship, and um, they want me to do the evangelism piece. And I said, no, you have to carry your weight. You have to live the Great Commission yourself. You have to put forth the evangelistic effort because then you, yeah, it rubbed me wrong. Let's just say that. And I have uh, harbored bitterness in my heart because, um, yeah, I I see what they're trying to do and it's not okay. Uh, They're trying to take the easy way out and actually not put forth effort to evangelize. They just want to focus on discipleship. But these two are mutually exclusive. You can't have one without the other. Um, make sense? We good? Just making sure. Uh, I know baptism is mentioned. Uh, it's important to mention because it unites a believer with Jesus Christ in his or her uh, death to sin and resurrection to new life. And baptism symbolizes submission to Christ. Say submission. I know that makes people feel a little squirrely. But you have to submit to his lordship and a willingness to live God's way and identification with God's covenant people. So, if we are to instruct these new believers on how to follow Jesus, how to submit to his lordship, guess what? we got to ask another question, don't we? Are we submitted to his lordship? Not just him as Savior, but as Lord. I know I briefly touched on that, but I, I genuinely think we're in the position that we are as a church because we're so excited about him and his saving grace, but yet we kick him to the side when it comes to his lordship over our life and actually submitting to him. But it's when we submit to him is when we get radical freedom because it enables him to absolutely take over our life and get into every nook and cranny in our life that we are trying to hide. Right? It just ties into the worship, right? Perfect love casts out fear. How does perfect love get inside of us? We submit. Or yielding, yep. 
You guys aren't feeling a little antsy, are you? Good. All right, we're moving on to the next one, all right? Acts 1-8. So this is, you guys ready to go on a little nerd excursion with this one? I find this stuff fascinating. It's exciting to me. Um, and I know you guys will have to endure it. But So Acts 1-8 says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How many of you ever heard of this verse? How many of you love quoting this verse? Yep, I did too. Um, for me, growing up, I very much approached this verse and always ran with to the end of the earth. Now, some of you know um, I had the wonderful honor and privilege of traveling with Will Hart and have been to uh, several, several countries and ministered in several countries. It is uh, truly an incredible, it was truly an incredible experience. And I got to ultimately live in the fruit of Will's sacrifice. Okay, I didn't, I didn't earn any of that. I got to benefit from his sacrifice, his yes, to where he is able to go to the ends of the earth because he started in his neighborhood. But I, I focused on, on that part of end of the earth as a way to hit the international mission field. Now, hear my heart. I'm not dis, dis, diminishing the need and the requirement to go and preach the gospel abroad. Okay? We are taking a little nerd excursion, and I'm outlining uh, what, why is the structure first Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then lastly is to the ends of the earth. Luke uh, in Luke Acts is very specific as to why he structures this the way that he structures it, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, the fact that Jerusalem is mentioned first, uh, we have to take note of that. But why Jerusalem first, and then Judea, and then Samaria? And so to understand this question, we have to have a greater sense of the scope of Luke-Acts. So, who wrote Luke-Acts? Luke, right? They are actually uh, the same book. It's just uh, in the canon of Scripture at the Council of Nicaea. They did get, end up, uh, they did get split up, but it is actually technically one book. Um, and Luke's audience is very clear in both of his volumes that he wrote to who? Does anybody know who he wrote to? You say Theophilus. So we know that he is addressing Theophilus. So unfortunately, there is not a lot that is known about who Theophilus was. Uh, some of the possibilities are that he was Luke's patron or that the name Theophilus uh, actually means uh, lover of God is being used universally in a reference to all believers. I could be completely and totally wrong uh, but just due to a lot of the research that I've done trying to discover Theophilus, I do think uh, it is on the latter of it is referring to all believers. Um, again, I could be completely wrong. I may get to heaven, and the Lord was just like, you missed it, you know? Um, but the book of Acts recounts the rise and spread of Christianity beginning in the provincial Jewish capital of where? First word, first city, excuse me, Jerusalem. And it ended in Rome. Were you with me so far? Okay. Also, uh, earlier when we were singing uh, hello, peace, um, uh, and saying goodbye, shame, and all that stuff, I, I wanted to say goodbye, allergies. 
<laughs> Y'all, Knoxville's rough when it comes to allergies. Um, so scholars believe that Luke wrote Acts in and around Jerusalem to Theophilus, and Theophilus was in and around Jerusalem um, as well, which uh, a lot of confusion can kind of get lost in there because Rome uh, was providing oversight and uh, Jerusalem had been conquered by Rome. But uh, 17th century Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal, if you want to write that name down, I highly recommend him. He's a, he's a great uh, Christian philosopher, very uh, insightful. Um, but he makes it known that Luke is trying to portray that we are to start in our hometowns when it comes to evangelism. Then, once you have established a presence and demonstrated a Paul-Timothy model of discipleship from evangelism, we are to move to our surrounding regions. And so this idea that, oh, I'm going to go off to Honduras or I'm going to go off to, you know, wherever it is, it's just more of asking the question, hey, is this is actually where the Lord wants me to start? The beautiful thing is, is the Lord has already put people in your life to evangelize. You just have to ask, who is it? And if, I mean, really, down to it, if we're really to take Luke for all what he's saying, he's really saying, start with your neighbors. How many of you actually know your neighbors that you live by? When was the last time you guys had them over for dinner? When was the last time you actually had a conversation other than, how you doing? You guys know my kind of, oh, I'm living the dream. And I mean that. It used to be something that was, you know, uh, shallow, and I actually didn't mean it, but now it's actually something. But it's not just shallow conversation anymore, right? It has to be a conversation with your neighbors of like, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Yeah. All right, so... How are you ultimately building a relationship with your street? Because if you cannot build relationships with who God has already placed in, in your life that literally lives right next to you, why do you think that he can trust you with someone from a different culture and a different nationality? Food for thought. We are to start our evangelistic journey with our neighbors, which is very much noted throughout Luke and acts. So my question is, is how are you truly loving your neighbor? Right? We, we want to hit the streets, and I, I hit the streets. Don't, don't hear me say don't go to the streets. But there's so much fear and anguish about going to the streets. Because we, we actually, if we're getting down to it, we just don't know how to share our faith. And where is a great training ground to share your faith? your neighbors, over the dinner table. What did I tell you my motto is? How am I earning a seat at their table? Right? And so inviting people into your home. Right? We see Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, Will, Heidi, and can see their international ministry that they have. However, again, where did they start? I know for a fact that it was their neighbors. Right? Weaverville, where Bill and Chris started. Weaverville's never been the same. Because Bill and Chris made it their mandate that they would first go after their neighbors and build Weaverville starting from the ground up, starting from their neighbors that turned into this huge, amazing international uh, ministry. 
Same with Will, right? I got to travel with him. I got to hear the stories of when he was freshly saved um, in Lancaster, uh, Massachusetts, right? He didn't know what he was doing. He just knew that people were right next to him, and they were free game, right? He had people over for dinner. He went over there. He baked this weird sardine dish. It was... (laughs) I'm still shocked that he was able to have the impact that he did after that dish, but... I'm just kidding. I apologize. But he was 17 years old when he did that, right? And so what excuse uh, do we have? Okay. I'm good on time. I'm close. All right. So so what does this look like, right? I've told you, I'm going to tell you how it looks like for my job. So I've, I've hit the streets. I never talk about Jesus right off the bat. It is very much a second and third visit. So again, that is the Holy Spirit putting that on my heart. So this is all for work, right? And I told you, now I'm going to get into what are we doing personally? Because very much uh, I've had it happen where, oh, well, you get paid to do that. So like, are you really doing it? And it's like, yeah. And I want to share a little bit about some of the things that we are doing, my wife and I, uh, within our neighborhood. Again, it's not a, oh, look at us. It's more of like, hey, we have given the Lord our yes. We have given, and hopefully this is kind of a tool and ways that you guys can implement this in your life. Because again, if you can win your neighbor to the Lord, the, there's this, it's like, it's like basketball, right? For me, I would never start warming up right at a three-point shot. Wouldn't do it. I would actually start at a layup, booster my, boost my confidence, get me feeling kind of ready to go, excited, right? I made layups, then I should move back, do the free throw. Then I move back and do the three-point shot, right? Because I'm setting myself up for success, right? I'm building my confidence. I'm getting trained uh, for me to ultimately move back to the three-point line. I think this is just the exact same, right? Jerusalem is the layup. Judea is the free throw line. Samaria is the three-point line. And then all the end of the earth is the half-court shot. I actually did not plan on doing this. That was the Lord. I love it. <laughs> right? So it's intimidating to hit the streets to have to share your faith when you've not really been able to even do it with your neighbors. So let me just, again, here, these are ideas, okay? Hear from the Lord what this looks like in your life, Okay? But this is what we do, my wife and I. We have, two, we have a TV night on Tuesdays. Tuesday evening, we actually have a TV show that we watch with our neighbors. So we have several people come over. I make a ton of popcorn, um, and, you know, people bring other stuff. But it is just a time to have fun, relax, watch uh, uh, the TV show. We watch one or two episodes, and then I pray the evening out. I'm not, I can't sit here and say I'm presenting the gospel every single time. Right, I'm trying to build relational equity. Right, we know from keeping your love on, you have to make deposits before you can make a withdrawal. Right, how am I building trust? How am I ultimately building a relationship with them to where they then trust me to actually preach the gospel to them and they not get scared, get take uh, some steps back. Right, it's like, hey, that's okay. You know, you're good. If you don't want to hear that right now, that's fine. We got next week. Right, because I've built this relationship with them. And so we've got several people that come to Tuesday night, um, TV night. We do a Christmas dinner for our neighborhood. So this past Christmas, we probably had, shucks, 
15 people from our neighborhood. Not just our street, but the uh, street uh, that directly butts up against ours. We literally, I smoked a Christmas pork butt. It was disgusting. My wife loved it. Everybody else loved it. I just thought it tasted gross because I'm used to a regular pork butt. But it was fun. We did white elephant, and we got to pray, and I got to preach the gospel very lightly. And these people just left super happy, refreshed, renewed, and with a full tummy. But again, I'm, we're building relational equity, right? I'm trying to build relationship with them to where if something were to happen later down the road, they know that they can come to the Haler household. And that's what's happened. We've had two uh, heart attacks happen with uh, some family members of uh, people on our street. And what's the first thing they've done? They come to our front porch and say, Joel, we need prayer. Because they know that this is the house of the Lord. Uh, Summer barbecue kickoff. This is something that's fun. Gather everybody together. Have you noticed there's a common theme of food? Food brings walls down. Uh, so we do a huge uh, barbecue kickoff. I, we, I smoke a bunch of meat, and then um, we do kind of this uh, competition. So I've got two other guys, Dan and Heidi. Heidi actually is this incredible baker, and she uh, actually, my parents were down there for Abner's uh, two, uh, second birthday party. She catered uh, his birthday party with her cakes. Right, Just again, because we, we love her. And we love that family. Uh, they, they know the Lord. It's great. Um, and then our other neighbor, John, uh, and Callie and their three kids, he's getting into the smoking meats game. Uh, in case you guys didn't know, I smoke a lot of meats, and I love it. And uh, they, it's just kind of this fun rivalry uh, between each other and who can create kind of the best dish. And so we do that in the summers. Um, I've started this meat tasting um, I try different recipes and do this, all the other stuff, and I literally walk down our street and knock on doors and say, hey, I made something new. Let me in. I got something for you. And I get to pray for people. We've led several people to the Lord, right? Just because I bring meat and I get to share the gospel, I get to pray with them, right? But again, it's, it's, it's super low stakes. It's simple. It's not, it, it's no pun intended, Right? It's not high stakes that we know it as in the American church. Where if like, uh, I, I've got to get it right. I've got to talk about Jesus right here, right now. It's just like, hey, Jesus did relationship. Right? That's, that's what he did. And that's, that's our model. Uh, we do weekly dinners. And so we make big, uh, huge crock pot meals. And what we'll do is we'll take our leftovers that we don't eat and go around the block. Um, and take them to uh, the two houses that just recently got purchased, and they are remodeling. Uh, and so we feed them. Um, I also uh, have helped them on weekends. Very practical, right? Just go. If you see that your neighbor needs help, go help them. Just go, daggum, knock down a wall. That's what I've done the last four weekends, is I've went and knocked down a wall, a concrete wall. And you know what? My neighbor left super blessed and super thankful, and I knew I made a deposit in his life to where I can then share the gospel. We do a little version of Adopt-A-Block. So my family knows uh, Miss Jean. Uh, she lives across the street from us. 
She uh, has three kids, eight grandkids, and doesn't see any of them. She has been completely marginalized from her family. I don't know why. I have no clue. I've never asked. Uh, but we have adopted her. She's now coming to church with us again. Um, and we have adopted her as our grandmother, and she has adopted Abner as her grandson. All because we brought her a meal. And we prayed with her, and we loved with her. And you want to know an awesome testimony about that? One of her sons had uh, cancer, uh, and he was getting ready to go through chemo and radiation. And uh, I had the opportunity of, like, Miss Jean, we were visiting with Miss Jean, and she was telling us this. And I said, can we pray for you right here, right now, and on behalf of Brian? His name's Brian. And she goes, yes, of course, please. Like, you know, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> so we got to pray with her. And uh, he had a doctor's appointment in two weeks, and that dude got completely touched by the Lord and had no cancer whatsoever. But again, would would that have happened had we not been intentional with our neighbors? Would Brian have actually received a miracle? And let it it sit on your heart and be a weight on your shoulders of like, if I don't do this, I'm robbing people of an encounter with the Lord. Uh, we do dog sitting. So our neighbor Lauren, our neighbors uh, Cassie, AJ, and our neighbor Melissa, and then Josh and Shante, we are the dog sitters for our neighborhood. If they need to go somewhere at a weekend, they know who to call. There's no questions asked. We have had to remove no from our vocabulary because no often comes out of a place of inconvenience. And I refuse to allow inconvenience to get into the way of the relationships with my neighbors. And so we have dogs on the regular. They either go in our backyard, and we've built so much trust with our neighbors that they have given us a key. I think we have a key for almost all of our neighbors. I'm serious. Projects, right, we're tearing down this. It used to be a drug house. We prayed the druggies out. They're out of the house. And this awesome couple just bought the house, and we have been helping them, feeding them uh, over the till they just bought it two months ago, and they've been working on it every Monday, Thursday, and Saturday. And they know if they need anything, they can come and say, "Hey, I need help." And then the last thing we do is summer porch hangs. Uh, my parents can attest to this. I'll be on the phone getting home from work, and I'll be like, "I gotta go." So and so is on our front porch. And on any given night, we'll probably have five or six of our neighbors on our front porch, just relaxing, enjoying each other, uh, building relationship, having great conversations, all because they know it's a safe place to come and sit and talk. And they, are, they know that they are heard. They know that they're loved. They know that they're seen uh, because we've been intentional to ensure that they're being chased after by the Haler household. And so I know I've, I've had to cut my parents' phone calls and FaceTimes with their grandson because I've had to say, hey, our neighbors are a priority. Right? I want my neighbors to come to know Jesus, and they have. So hopefully those are great tools, but um, you know, one of the biggest things, I, you know, this is very much me, I wanted to see miracles, I want to see crazy moves of God, um, but I was not getting outside of the walls of the four church, uh, the four church, the four walls of the church. Or your own home. Um, I know it's very easy to 
relax at the end of the day, watch an episode of Netflix. Um, but I would encourage you not to do that. Your neighbors are craving an, an absolute radical encounter with the Lord. And it starts by your yes. Um, believers in the church, I think, have a conditional approach to miracles. Uh, we want them to happen to us and in our house, not outside of my home. I want the blessing. I want the miracle. I want. And when you shift your focus to have an evangelistic mindset of like, yeah, that's great. I really would love that miracle, but I know they need it more because they don't have the Lord. They need it more because they don't have the Lord. I do. My needs are going to be met. And this can even be even confronting some of the mindsets that you have of like, well, I need this. I need this. Well, you don't trust the Lord. And maybe that's something you need to do, deal with the Lord, right? But imagine what would happen to Newcastle if everyone in the building here in New Covenant befriended one neighbor. What do you think would happen, church? If you befriended one person in your neighborhood and then that neighbor rep replicated that relationship with somebody else that they know. The Paul-Timothy model. It would bring radical change to this city. That is how the gospel spread in Acts, and that is going to continue how it spreads. But I'm afraid we, the Lord has an unmotivated church. He needs, he needs our yes. He wants us to demonstrate the kingdom. He gave us that mandate. And he's ready to move powerfully. He just needs motivated people to just build relationships with people. Because he's he doesn't hmm, yeah. he could easily move in power, but he chooses to use us and partner with humans. And so I, I think for me, what my job has done, what we're trying to do on our street, has motivated me uh, to see greater works of the King being demonstrated. I don't. I, before, I didn't see it because I didn't do it. If I wanted to see more people healed, why wasn't I praying for more people to get healed? It's easy to complain about things, especially when you're not doing it. You know what I mean? He needs a place to fall on, and it's just a matter of him giving your yes. It's impossible to adequately display the love of God without power, and it's not about knowing the love of God. It's about experiencing it. Jesus needs you to demonstrate his love to Newcastle. Not just to Newcastle, but to your neighbors. And so hopefully, um, I wasn't too harsh, but I, I really hope this gave you some just practical tools. And it may seem oversimplified. I just have to provide a meal for my neighbor? Yep. Because if you're choosing joy, if you're enjoying doing it, Right, his love is experienced. Oftentimes, I get into theological conversations and debates with people in the neighborhood that I work in. And guess what? Nobody leaves changed because they didn't experience the love of the Father. Right, my, my, I didn't listen. I wanted to get a point across. Right? So, I've got homework for you guys. All right. You guys ready for homework?
homework. You have to contact, you have to make contact with one neighbor this week. Okay? And if I'm holding you accountable to this, I want you to bake cookies or brownies, whatever it is, right? I know my parents are eating healthy and I, I don't really want them serving that beetroot to their neighbor, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I apologize. I had to make that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. They're, I'm really proud of my parents. Um, but bake something. Make something for your neighbor. And you, before you can step foot into this church next Sunday, you have to actually come to terms with the Lord and say, hey, I actually made contact with my neighbor. Like, I'm even encouraging you, if you didn't, don't step foot in this church. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing. I, okay, I, I, I mean that, but I'm also kindly, kind of joking. But there needs, there's like, whew, there has got to be accountability people. Right? My intern, I have an intern from Bethel. We're working on her accountability, and if she can't show up on time, she cannot be here. She can't be there. I send her home. That's happened twice now. Where she does not show up, sorry. You didn't do what you were required. You are trying to create routines and habits that ultimately allows the presence of the Lord to absolutely invade. But we have to be disciplined enough to actually do it. And that's what I'm trying to encourage you. Like, have some discipline. Be uncomfortable a little bit. Take your neighbor a daggum brownie. Sugar it up, butter it up. I don't care. Because... Make it good, though. Make it good, please. Don't give them a beetroot. <laughs> But that, that, that's, 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 what I, that's what I challenge you guys this week is to start out small, right? Even through the scriptures that we read, right? It starts out small. It starts with the person that's next to you, right? Don't try and go conquer the world all at once because you'll honestly probably just feel defeated. You'll feel like a failure. But if you just start at the, uh, with a layup with your neighbor, that's where the change really happens. And so I'm going to pray real fast. That's your homework for this week. And if the prayer team wants to come up, because um, the reality is, is uh, you know, this can seem daunting. This can seem overwhelming. And that's why I really tried to make it simple and tried to give you the, uh, the practicals of having people over. Just walk down the street. Take them, you know, something that you've baked. It, has, it can be leftovers, right? But the idea is this whole evangelism, discipleship thing, um, it's, it doesn't have to be something that you have to add to your schedule. You're already sitting on your front porch, Joel. Bring people over. I'm already making dinner. Let me bring the youth and let me demonstrate how a healthy what a healthy marriage looks like. How do I deal with conflict in my marriage? How do I raise my son? You're already doing this stuff. It's not something that you have to add to your plate, right? And so don't view it as a task. View it as an opportunity. Invite people into your home. With that, I could keep going, but we're going to pray, um, and as I'm praying, I'd love for the prayer team to come up, because there is a sense of urgency, there is a sense of excitement when it comes to evangelism, um, but also there can be a little bit of fear, and so if that is you, that as you were, uh, as I was, you know, going through this, you know, some uncomfortable fear kind of came up, I really encourage you, come get prayer. I want you to get over that fear, because perfect love, right, casts out fear. And these, these prayer warriors are full of the Father's perfect love. 
And so if that's you, just come on up after I pray. Um, and then if you do, uh, if you don't need prayer, just go ahead and uh, get out of here. Don't show back up until you made contact with your neighbors. <laughs> Sound good? All right, King Jesus, we just thank you so much. Oh, Lord, what an honor and privilege it is to uh, be able to love the person in front of us, Lord. Lord, we just want to represent you well. We want to demonstrate your love in a way that brings radical change to people's life, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you that uh, you are filling us afresh. You are filling us anew, Lord, and you are giving us a new sense of urgency uh, for your people, Lord. I want to see the king, excuse me, the kingdom of God full of my neighbors. I want to see the kingdom of God filled because of the, uh, the yes that we gave you, King Jesus. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your perfect love penetrating our hearts. Lord, that it penetrates our minds. And Holy Spirit, we just are so thankful that you would choose to use us, imperfect vessels. And Lord, that you entrust people like us, to advance your kingdom, Lord. What an honor and privilege it is. And so, Father, we just thank you so, so much for this wonderful time that we have together. Bless this week um, as we go forth, as we share our faith, and as we make contact uh, with our neighbors, Lord. We love you so, so much. In your name we pray. Amen.